Welcome to Glory to Glory, the radio teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Join us now in our study as we open the Word together. If you can turn with me, uh, we'll be taking our text out of 1 John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 18 to 21. The title of the message here this morning is The Untouchables. The other day I met with a couple from this church and uh, it was just an awesome meeting. They've been coming out to the church for two years and I just, I really enjoyed my time getting to know them and it was really a, a great time together. And I just, I asked them how they uh, found out about our church and they said, well, two years ago they went to the Labor of Love. And they asked who put on the Labor of Love Music Fest uh, there on the beach, the annual outreach that we do. And so someone gave them a flyer. So they showed up two years ago, and they've been coming ever since. And I was like, no way. That is so awesome. And then also uh, they told me that one of them, uh, he wasn't a Christian, and it was about six months later after going to the church. So he's prayed to receive the Lord, and now he's become a Christian. So I'm just encouraged in the fact that the fruit that comes, and I, in my heart, I look at the fact that if five years of doing the Labor of Love Music Fest is for his soul only, then it was worth it. Amen? Amen. One soul being saved. And we know that there's just been many testimonies of different people and just the the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just so encouraged when I hear wonderful testimonies like that. But as we talk about the untouchables, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're considered untouchable. And what does that mean? Well, we're going to look at that here in our text. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. So with that being said, why don't we stand again, if you can, while I read uh, these few verses. So 1 John 5, the epistle of John, picking up at verse 18, we'll read to the end. And the apostle John writes, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. And Lord, one more time, we just pray over this text. We pray, Lord, that you would show us what these four verses mean to us today, that you would open our understanding to that, Lord, how we can apply this, how we can use these verses and apply them in our lives. So please, Lord, give us that application in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So as we've been looking at, I'm just, it's kind of bittersweet today because, uh, we're, at, we're just now ending this wonderful letter. Hasn't it been a great letter? And the Apostle John, as we've been looking at, is the Apostle of love. And we've been talking much about love and how we're to love one another. We're to, to love our neighbor. We're to love those that aren't saved. We're to have a love in action. And we've been talking quite a bit about love. We're not to love the world nor the things of this world. The things that are not of God, we're to hate those things and we're to cling to those things that are good. So we've been talking quite a bit about that. We've been talking about that we're to have confidence in our salvation, that we, would, that we should know that we have eternal life. 
and the importance of that, that we would have confidence in salvation, knowing that we're saved by grace through faith because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we were looking at that we should have confidence also in our prayer life, that we're to know that when we pray anything according to God's will, that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have those petitions that we ask of. So uh, hopefully through this epistle, we have more confidence in prayer. We realize when we're praying according to the will of God, God hears those prayers and God is going to answer those prayers. And we have those petitions that we ask of. So we've been talking about that. But here we're looking at these last four verses And we're looking at the fact that we have victory over evil and that we have victory over sin. And we're not to to fear when it comes to evil because we're on the winning side. Isn't that a good thing? Let's take a look back at this next verse, so the verse 18. So if you can, I'm going to put it up on on the screen if you want to take a look. And the Apostle John says, And we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Well, we know that doesn't mean that we are sinless, that we're, we're, we're perfect. Is there anyone in this place that's perfect? Can you raise your hand, please? <laughs> Nobody, right? So he's talking about habitual sin. As we've looked at this before, practicing habitual sin. And I just want to say, in the battle against sin, it's important to keep in mind, if you're a believer here today, that we have all the resources of heaven not to sin, We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We're born of God, so we have power by the Holy Spirit. That we have Jesus Christ interceding for us. We have the power of Jesus that's praying for us. We have an encampment of holy angels that are encamped around us against sin to protect us from evil, right? And we have the Word of God. It talks about the Word of God, how it's a a living sword, that it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we have every resource in heaven not to sin. And I think it's important that we realize that. So when temptation comes our way, when we are tempted to fall, we should realize, wait a second, I have resources. And we should take advantage of those resources that God has given us. Amen? Some years back, I remember when I was serving at Calvary Costa Mesa, I was up front praying with people, and there was a couple that came up for prayer. They were from Boston. And and it was so interesting because the husband asked if I would pray for his wife, and they were standing in front of me, and he says, my wife has a terrible anger problem. And she goes, no, I don't. No, she didn't say that. But the funny thing is, you could see it on her face. She was just like standing and just like this whole face was like distorted. And she was like, and, uh, and she's like, yeah, you know, and I get so upset. And she's, you know, she's admitting she's, she has this anger problem. And I, so I, I asked them both. I said, have you ever, you two, received Christ? And he says, you know, just recently I prayed to receive Christ. I'm a born-again Christian. And I says, well, how about you? And she says, no. <laughs> she didn't say it that way, but... So I shared the gospel with her. I shared, you know, about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Do you understand that? Yes. And do you want to receive Jesus? She says, yes, I'd love to receive Jesus. And so we prayed for her, and she prayed to receive the Lord. And she said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for my anger. Take this away from me. And then we just laid hands, and we prayed over her. And she started weeping and sobbing. And it was just one of those, you know, the whole thing. I want to do everything. And there was waters coming out everywhere. You know, she's, she's crying. But let me tell you, she was totally transformed right before our eyes. And the anger was gone. 
And then they were on vacation from Boston, so we, you know, told them that, you know, there's a church, uh, Calvary Chapel in Boston, and she got, they got hooked up there, and, and then every so often we'd see him again, and just, she just had the wonderful joy of the Lord, and God took away that anger. We have all the resources in heaven against sin and evil. Those that are born of God do not practice habitual sin, that, that Jesus Christ himself can break the chains of habitual sin. He wants to deliver us, but I believe it's just a matter of realizing, turning from that sin, but realizing the resources we have in heaven. We have all the resources it takes to combat habitual sin. We don't have to be a slave to sin. Jesus breaks those patterns of habitual sin, and we know that who's ever born of God does not sin. But look back with me. It goes on to say, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. I don't know if your Bible has in the footnotes for himself. It says that it's better translated him instead of himself. My Bible does have it in here in the footnotes. It's a better translation. It's not himself. It's him. And actually, the, uh, the R.S. V, not RSVP, that's different, but the RSV, the revised uh, standard version, I believe it spells it out better. It says, but he, talking about, I believe, Jesus, who was born of God, who's the, the begotten son of God, keeps him, that's you and me, keeps him, not himself. We don't keep ourselves. It's him that keeps us. And the evil one does not touch him. So John is simply saying, Jesus keeps us as believers, keeps us protected from the evil one, and the evil one can't touch us. If you're a note taker, I'd like to take a note. This touched word, this word touch is, is very interesting because it, it has the idea of attaching oneself to you or grasping onto or latching onto you. So if you're a born-again Christian here today, you cannot have the devil or demons or demonic realm latch onto you. And I hope you realize that. There's some denominations, some churches that teach that you can be a Christian and demon-possessed. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. And, and I hope we understand that you cannot be demon-possessed if you're a born-again Christian. What fellowship does light have with darkness? There's no, once the lights turn on, kind of like you go into a dark room, you turn on the light, what happens? Darkness goes what? Bye-bye, right? Darkness is gone. Well, when we are children of light, the light's turned on, darkness has to flee. And... Uh, let me say this, though. I mean, we can't be demon-possessed, but we can have demon oppression. There could be like an oppression taking place, but, but I want you to realize we have power and authority over all demonic realm as Christians. Do we know that? That's good. And, and the evil one can't latch on to us, can't grasp us. And I think the power of the mind is so powerful that if you believe that the enemy can grasp onto you, like I've heard people say, oh, pastor, you don't understand this sin is just so difficult. I, I can't break free from it. It's just, I'm just addicted. And, and it's like, it's just so much. As, I'm like, well, are you a born again Christian? Yeah, well, I pray to receive Christ. Well, if you have the power of God living in you, the devil can't latch on to you. Sin cannot take hold of your life, cannot take and grasp onto your life. And I believe the mind is powerful, and we need to understand that. Again, we have all the resources in heaven at our disposal. But there's the flesh to deal with, isn't there? And we have to repent. We have to turn from our flesh. We have to turn from our fleshly ways. I was sharing with someone this morning how um, just someone 
told me this once before, but like if you have a, a live turkey in your home, I mean a live turkey, a, you know, feathers and all and everything, and it's running around your house and you let it go wild, you know, it's going to, you know, stink up the house and it goes to the bathroom in your house and it's just running around. It's going to be messy. It's going to be smelly. It's going to be irritating. It's going to be loud, right? But you take that same turkey and you kill the turkey and you put it in the oven. It changes the whole atmosphere of the house. The aroma smells great, doesn't it? And the same thing goes with our flesh. When we're dominated by the flesh, we're ugly, we're stinky, we're smelly, right? And we cause all kinds of messes and we're ugly and everything is terrible. But when we die to ourselves through Jesus Christ, we give ourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, there's a sweet aroma that takes place. Our life is a sweet aroma to others. And then when the flesh comes up again, guess what? Everybody's like, phew, phew. Get away from me. And that means we need to die to the flesh. We need to die to self. That we can have that sweet aroma of Christ living in us again. Where others will experience Jesus Christ and him crucified in our lives. This, the, the aroma of Christ dwelling in our midst. We need him. Amen. The evil one has no authority over us. I love what we're told in Jude. Verse 24, verse, uh, chapter 1. There's only one chapter, but I always say chapter 1, verse 24. It says, now to him, the Lord. Look at this. Now to him. Did you notice that's capital H? So that's the Lord, right? Who is able. Who's able? Him. It doesn't say, now you're able. It says, no. Now to him who is able. To what? To keep you from stumbling. And to, pre- to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now to him who is able, now to him who is able, now to him who is able. In other words, when we realize our weakness, when we realize our sin, we say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Keep me from stumbling. Keep me from falling. It's him that'll keep us. We have all the resources in heaven provided for us. We have his spirit. We have Jesus interceding at the right hand of the Father. We have holy angels encamped around us. We have all the resources that we need not to fall, not to stumble. God protects us when we're his kids. I just recently read a story about a diver who was an Olympic gold medalist. During his competition, after he won a gold medal, he couldn't sleep and he wasn't able to rest. And he realized winning a gold medal wasn't all that he hoped it would be. And he realized that it didn't achieve what he thought it would achieve. And he was restless. And finally, he got up out of the bed and he walked over to the the pool area where the the, the high dive was. And he went over to the high dive. And because it was a, a full moon, he didn't even turn the lights on. He left it the way it was. And he could see enough. And he was such a professional. He didn't have to worry about seeing everything. So he climbed up. He made his way up to the top of the high dive. And he was up at the top. And as he he stood up there, he put his, his legs together and he put his arms out horizontally and the moon just hit him in such a way that from a far distance he saw a, a, the shadow of his body and it looked like a perfect cross. And at that point, the story goes that he, at that point, he instantly was reminded of Sunday school, learning about Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins. And it broke him. 
And he climbed down the ladder. He made his way down the ladder and he, he got on the ground. He, he fell to his knees and he yielded his life to Jesus Christ. He gave his life to the Lord. And the story goes, he slept like a baby. He had such peace. He went right to sleep because he found what he was looking for. Well, the next morning, the story goes, when he went over to the pool, he noticed the pool was completely emptied, that they had emptied it the night before. The caretaker of the pool emptied it to clean it out and to replace it with water. And as he looked at the pool, they were just starting to put water back into the pool. If he would have dived off of that high dive, he would have met his instant death. God protected him. You know, you think of that, you know, and then you say, well, what about those that get martyred and those, you know, and that's a good thing to consider. When it's our time, it's our time. When, when we're to die, but our life is in his hands. Our life's in God's hands. There's an appointed time for man to die. But when we talk about evil, God protects us from all evil. Look at verse 19 again. I'll put it up on the screen. And John says, and we know that we are of God and the whole world is in the power of the evil one. That's a very telling verse, isn't it? We know that we are of God. That's us as believers, right? But did you notice, and the whole world is in the power of the evil one? And the power of the evil one is even interesting. It, it, it speaks of, if you, you know, go into the original language, the, the Greek and all, and you look at that, it means that they're lying down. They're, it's like they're, they're asleep spiritually. They're like, it, they're, the whole world's under the sway of the evil one. In other words, the evil one has total uh, dominion over the people in this world. They're like puppets on a string. He's just going like this. He's, he's like this with the people in this world. They're just asleep. They're like dead spiritually. And they're just like, oh, let's do this. Oh, let's do that. Oh, this feels good. Oh, that feels even better. They're all under the sway of the wicked one. That's a very powerful verse because it gives us such a powerful contrast of, of the difference of being a believer and a non-believer in Jesus Christ. You know, my sister once told me, she says something about, she was, you know, talking to me and she said something about the devil or you're listening to the devil or you're something like that. And I just went, I was like, what do you mean? You know, I thought, you know, like, I don't believe in the devil. I don't do this. And I said, and she was absolutely right. I was under the sway of the devil. I wouldn't say that's a good way to witness to people. Just say you're under the sway of the devil. You're, you know, but it's the truth. And, and listen, as believers, if we realize this truth, we realize that we're on a rescue mission. And we should actually, as for the unbelievers, we should give them a lot of grace because it's like, Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they're doing. They're just totally under the sway of the wicked one. According to this verse, the evil one totally persuades them. The evil one is totally over them, and they don't know better. So we intercede for them. We pray for them. We share the loving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and hopefully they'll come out of darkness, and they'll come into the marvelous light. But there's a huge contrast here. There's a huge difference between us, and there's no middle road. Did you realize that? You're here today. You're either under the power of God and his Holy Spirit, or you're the, under the, the power of the evil one to do his will. And there's all kinds of verses to back it up, you know, talking about how uh, in, in Ephesians 2.2, it says the spirit that works in sons and daughters of disobedience, God's, or excuse me, the, the demonic spirits are working within them. Uh, the prince of the world is, is Satan, John 14, uh, 30. Satan's the god of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. 
He controls this world. And you see with these hurricanes taking place and these earthquakes taking place, you know, they call it an act of God. Can I explain to you? It's really not an act of God. Remember when Jesus was in the boat, he rebuked the, the, the storm. He rebuked the waves in the, in the sea, right? It's the same verse as he rebuked it as when he cast a demon out of a demon-possessed person. He rebuked it like a demon, right? But they use it, you know, even in contracts, you know, if it's an act of God. I've seen them in contracts, an act of God. I, I always want to cross it out and say, no, no, it's an act of the devil. I'm sorry, the act of the <laughs> we know that we are of God. Isn't that a good thing to know that you're of God? And I believe that if you're a Christian, you're going to know if you're of God. If you're here today and thinking, I don't really know if I'm of God. I think I'm of God. If, if that's you today and you're saying, well, I think I'm of God, then I would suggest that you probably are not of God because you, it says, and we know that we're of God. We're, we're to know that we're of God. We're to, there's not going to be a question mark. I've shared with people on the street, you know, sharing, you know, I ask them, are you born again? And they say, well, I think so. And I said, no, 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 it's not a think so. It's a know so. You'll know that you're born of God. We, we should know it. But we should also know that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. They're asleep spiritually. But we're under the power of the Almighty, amen? And he has purpose for our lives. He brings us purpose. We're under new ownership. Isn't that a good feeling? You're under new ownership? We were all once under the power of the enemy, but now we're under new ownership. Isn't that awesome? It's like there's a new sheriff in town. And believe me, he's far greater than the old sheriff. He's much more powerful. We have a new, I've been talking about this uh, complex here, was bought out by a gentleman. He's a born-again Christian, and we've got a new ownership here, and it's so much better here in this place because of him. Amen? But our body, our lives, we've been given over. We, we have a life in Christ now. We have a new owner. We have power and purpose. I love what Paul the Apostle says in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already attained, Paul said to those in Philippi. He says, I haven't attained or I am already perfected or perfect. I'm not perfect yet. But listen what he says. But I press on. And this is the part that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul the Apostle says, I'm not perfect, but one thing I do, I, I lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Do you, you get the same picture as I, I'm thinking about how the devil lays hold of people in this world and he controls them and he dominates over them, but Jesus has laid hold of us. And Paul the Apostle says, I, I want to lay hold of all that God has laid hold of me. I, I want to perform. I want to do. I want to be about everything that God has called me to do. Paul's heart was like, I want to do everything. I don't want to fall short of the purpose that I'm here on this earth. I want to know why I'm here, and I want to accomplish what God has for me. I don't want anything getting in the way with all that God has for my life. It is, does that represent you? Does that reflect how you feel today? When I was in the world, I used to think, what is my purpose? Did you do that when you were in the world? I, I would think, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And it was so frustrating because I, I was successful in business. I was doing this and doing that, but I still wasn't content inside. And I knew there has to be a purpose. What is my purpose? What am I on this earth for? What am I created for? Why am I here? 
And Paul the Apostle is saying that I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. In other words, God's got my life now. Now, Lord, show me all that you have in store for me. I want to lay hold of it. I don't want to miss out on it. And I could say I have that same heart. I want to lay hold of all that Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I want to accomplish everything. I want to stand in front of the Son of God the day that I enter into eternity, enter into heaven, and I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Listening to Glory to Glory with Pastor Joe Pettick, an outreach of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. If you would like to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call now at 714-788-8221. That's 714-788-8221. We'd like to extend an invitation to visit us here at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Our address is 16450 Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington Beach, California, 92649. We're located in Peter's Landing Marina in Huntington Harbor. Our Sunday service times are 10 a.m. and 12 o'clock noon. Our Tuesday evening Bible study begins at 7 p.m. Now, may we continue to go to His throne of mercy as He changes us from glory to glory.